This is Anabaptist Perspectives, and we're glad that you're here to spend another episode with us. In March of this year, Siloa Ministries hosted the 18th Annual Men's Seminar at the Hartwell Mennonite Center in Hartwell, Georgia. Stephen Brubaker was one of the two speakers for the weekend. He and the coordinators for the seminar kindly gave us permission to publish the messages from that weekend through Anabaptist Perspectives. So on Thursday and Saturday last week, we released his first two messages called A Godly Man and a Churchman, and today we will hear his final message called A Family Man. The cultural forces arrayed against faithfulness to one's wife are incredibly strong. The prevailing sense in our culture today that sex outside of marriage is so normal that anyone who disagrees must be hopelessly out of touch is one of those factors. The highly sensualized, sexualized society that we live in, that we see in print, on billboards, on the sidebars of news sites, storefronts, the way people dress, the availability of pornography, and on and on, are part of that cultural pressure. Just this last week, in preparation for communion, our church was sharing together, and one of the things that I said to our congregation, just mentioned that Cynthia and I are, we're, we've been empty nesters for the last number of weeks, and that we've really been enjoying each other. We enjoy the being together. We enjoy our marriage. We enjoy our relationship. And I was saying that one of the reasons that we can't, that, that that's true is because of, of the faithfulness of our relationship over the years. And then I just, I told them, I said, in the society we're living, the reason, one of the factors, one of the ways that God has given strength for the two of us to be faithful to each other, to keep our marriage commitments is, is this church and the churches that Cynthia and I have been a part of over the years. That, the, that strength from God has been ministered through being a part of a community of people that value marriage. And that is a, that is a real strength, that is a real grace that, um, it's, it's, that translates into people like Cynthia and I being able to keep our commitments to each other. The cultural forces vying for our children's allegiances and loves is also great. No tepid response will effectively counter the allure of video games, the internet, movies, and the prevailing value system. And so a question for us this morning. How do you raise a generation that can withstand the moral pressures of this age? What are we going to do to raise a generation of people that are prepared to withstand the incredible onslaught, both in terms of marriage, uh, but in terms of what it means to be a godly man or woman? A quote from Rod Dreher, and then I want to open it up to you for response here. Rob Dreher wrote a book called The Benedict Option, in which he talks about how, how desperate the times are. And he says this, To raise children who become adults with the moral strength to resist the defilements of the age requires an extraordinary degree of sacrifice from parents today. And I would add, it requires an extraordinary sacrifice from the church as well. 
And so what does this really mean? Can we talk about that a moment? What is this sacrifice that's called for? How are we going to raise a generation of people that are prepared, that have the kind of strength to withstand the cultural pressures that we're facing today? Godly men take responsibility for their homes. Godly men take responsibility for their wife and for their children. My observation, as I look at myself and people that I know well, is that men generally don't mind that much if someone else wants to take responsibility. And that's true whether at church or at home or even at work. You know, if, if Cynthia is willing to make that phone call, well, great. If, if she's willing to discipline the children, fantastic. If, if, she's, if she's willing to, to make sure the children are doing chores and, and uh, learning how to work, wonderful. If, if she'll lead out in family devotions, why not? We have to call each other to be responsible, to be men who step up to the plate. Now, I want to read from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's an Old Testament passage, and yet it's one that Jesus uses to focus, to, to bring in all of, the, all of the possible commands and important things. And he, he uses this passage to say, here's the most important. So De Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And I'd love to take some time just to talk about those two phrases. The Lord our Lord, the Lord is one. Because I find embedded in that is really a, uh, the, the seed behind the entire Christian worldview. Right there in, in, that, in those short phrases. And the Jewish people, this, is, this passage that we're reading here, at least uh, most of these verses is the, the centerpiece of their theology. They consider this some of the most important of the Old Testament. Give it a name, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Oh, we come back to that core reality. Godly men love God. And these words that I command you today, including those words that he just said, love God with all that you are, these words shall be on your hearts. That's language to talk about. These are, this is, the, the reality of loving God is not something you merely say. This is something you are. This is something you be. This is being, not just doing. This is on your heart. It's, it's written below the DNA of who you are. Then the next phrase, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Notice the picture that's being painted, a picture of a home, a picture of an environment in which love for God is, is championed. Love for God is lifted up as a wonderful reality, something compelling and attractive. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, 
with great and good cities that you didn't build and houses full of good things that you didn't fill and cisterns that you didn't dig and vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant. This is unearned wealth that they're coming into. He says, when you experience unearned wealth and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. There's a lot here we could, we could unpack. What I want to focus on, two observations. One is the call for us to be men who, who have the love of God written in our hearts, first of all. As family men... That's the fuel, the dynamic out of which we're living, love for God. The second observation is the call to create homes where love for God can flourish. So being men who are lovers of God and then working hard. I mean, this is, this is a passage that calls us to invest tremendous time and energy in creating a home, creating a context in which love for God flourishes. I mean, he's talking about making sure that, that the environment is one that is constantly compelling uh, our children toward God. So taking responsibility... For our family, taking responsibility for our wife and children. I'm just going to boil it down to two things. It means let me just put it very simply. It means to draw it, and it means to build it. Draw it. Draw a blueprint, envision it, get a picture in your mind and on paper of what this kind of home looks like. This is, this is painting a picture. You know, whenever we go out to build a, a house, this is what we do. We first of all start dreaming about what we want and we draw, we maybe even draw a picture of it, but we draw a blueprint. You say, well, here's where we want this room and this room, and here's where we want the fireplace. We envision that, that house. I'm calling us to the same thing here in terms of our families, to, to put good energy into drawing, drawing a, the picture, a motivating vision for what my marriage and, and family will look like. And then the second part is to investing significant energy into making that drawing happen, into bringing that drawing to life, into building that thing that, that we've made a, a blueprint for. So we draw it. And I'm going to start here by just giving a, a, an example of what I have in mind. You know, this, this drawing might just be a list. Uh, it might actually be a drawing. For some of you who are visual, you might actually draw something out. And, but uh, for me, this has tended to take a list. In fact, you know, uh, I find as a, as a grandparent, Cynthia and I have four grandchildren now, I find I have more energy and vision for my grandchildren than I had for my children. Uh, I'm not sure why. I, I just children just came along for us and and didn't really sit down and do a whole lot of envisioning. But now that I've in, invested significant time and energy there, and I come along, and my children are grown, and I'm thinking, I care an awful lot about what happens for my grandchildren. And I have these pictures and these visions of what I'd like to see for them, and so. Um, now, I don't, I don't want to put too much pressure on my children, and so I haven't shown them this list. But um, some time ago, probably two years ago, Cynthia and I, about the time of our first grandchildren, Cynthia and I sat down and we, we made our list of what we want for our grandchildren. This was our drawing. Um, it's, it's too late for us to implement this particular vision, to build it for our children. 
But I'm just offering it as an example. And I'm, I'll tell you, there's about 20 things on this list. Um, and I'm going to walk down through them. And I offer them just as ideas. And I want to quickly say that your picture needs to be customized for you. Um, and so not all of these things are going to be part of your picture. But here's, here's uh, what we wrote. For our grandchildren, we want... We want them to be read to regularly and broadly. By the way, these are not in any particular order of what's the most important or least important, and they're, they're kind of all over the map. Some, you're going to say that's pretty trivial, and some might be more significant. But here's, we said, we want our grandchildren to be read to regularly and broadly, from the Bible to Bruchko to Winnie the Pooh. For our grandchildren, we want them to have toys that inspire creativity and imagination. I'm a big believer in Lego and uh, that kind of toy. So I, I wrote down things like Lego and blocks and doll babies and kites and rockets. We want for them opportunities and resources for creative play, spaces for that, time for that, stuff for that, from sandboxes to chalkboard and uh, paint and markers and paper and cardboard. We want for them unquestioned attendance at all church gatherings. We want for them daily meal times as an entire family, hopefully two times a day. We want for them daily times of prayer and Bible reading and reflection. As families, we want for them lots of conversation. We want them to be in homes where if there is internet available, that there is accountability. That the, whenever they would be on, it would be in the presence of others. And that um, uh, if there were opportunities for others, when others weren't around, that uh, there would be uh, tracking software. We want for them memorable times as an extended family at Christmas, Thanksgiving, and birthdays. We want for them to be involved in family service projects that include interaction with neighbors on a regular basis. We want for them authentic ministry involvement. Uh, children's clubs, going into prisons, into inner cities, uh, helping, volunteering at the soup kitchen. We want for them regular chores, and I have in parentheses, real work, not contrived. We want for them periodic attendance as a family at museums, parks, concerts, cultural events, church events, like the Hartwell meetings. We want for them a school with, po with a positive Christian culture. And then related to that, we want for them a wide range, number, both in number and in type, of teachers, ministers, youth leaders, mentors that invest in their lives. And maybe I'll just say, this is uh, one of the reasons, Cynthia and I are both school teachers, and we enjoy teaching, and, and we often get asked, why, why didn't y'all homeschool? And we say, well, we did. Uh, we, were, we were responsible for our children's education, and we did a lot of things to see that they were educated, including sending them to school where they had the opportunity to benefit from a lot of other adults besides their, their mom and dad, because we value that. We want our children to be blessed by the input of many others. You know, I, I, um, I, I'm not into music much. Um, and so it would be really difficult for me to pass on to my children a love for hymns and a love for... Uh, for choral music, but Gerald Miller and Brandon Mullet, two teachers at our school, 
can do that and did that. And I'm grateful for that kind of, of input. Uh, and that's just one example of many that I could, could give. We want for our children adult quality learning equipment, sewing machines, potter's wheels, welders, dremel tools, woodworking, telescopes, microscopes. And, and I'm putting emphasis on adult quality because, you know, these toys you can get, sewing machine toys, or let's take something I'm really familiar with. If you go to Walmart or someplace like that and buy a microscope for your child, it's a nice thought, but it will never create a love for microscopes and using microscopes. You have to get an adult quality in order to create, to really see what a microscope can show you. Now, of course, this is expensive to have these kinds of things, and that's where a community, maybe even our schools ought to be, have lending libraries of this kind of maker tool available. But uh, that kind of environment is just alive with possibilities for our children. I want them to have an opportunity to learn to play a musical instrument. I want them to have cross-cultural immersion experiences. Uh, I want them to have meaningful and positive friendships. A best friend or two or three, and I'm not talking about their parents. And then I have, we wrote one thing we didn't want for our grandchildren, and that is we don't want them to be babysat by a computer or video player. Now, when I say draw, picture, that's, that's what I mean. It's just getting down on paper. What, you, what do you want? For your family. Now, clearly, if this kind of list is to be implemented, it's going gonna, it's gonna to require a lot of time. It's going to require money and energy. Uh, but we do well. If we're going to take responsibility for our homes, it involves doing this kind of creative thinking and envisioning. So uh, that, that's an example of what I'm talking about. And I'd like to make a couple comments about this blueprint or this picture. First of all, this picture is going to be counter-cultural. That means it's going to look a lot different from the pictures of families around us in the world today. This is not a picture you're going to be able to draw by going out and looking at a lot of families in our world. It's going to be countercultural in that sense. It's going to be driven by a different kind of vision than what's driving most parents in our world today. Second thing I would say is that this picture needs to be motivating, and it needs to be motivating for you as a man, as a, as a husband. As a father, it needs to be motivating for you. So, in other words, some of the things that I have down on my list, you just uh, you know, ho hum. What do you mean need periodic attendance at museums? Uh, and I'm not saying that everything on my list needs to be in, in your picture. I'm, I'm giving that as an example. Uh, you know, Burton was just talking this morning about part of the vision for his home that he's been living, and that's that's a. Uh, a vision or it, that includes music and the place of music in the home. Uh, I have a little bit about that in my list, but not nearly to the extent that he was describing. That's going to be something that's really motivating from him. That's, that's what I'm talking about. This, this needs to be, when you put this picture together, when you envision this, it needs to be something you get. Yes, this is, this is energizing. There's a man in my church that um, has a real enjoyment of horses, and that's the that's the piece that he's built a number of, he's built a, a vision around his family, uh, taking care of horses and then taking those horses and, and exploring with them, uh, uh, going, uh, riding together and so on. So um, let's work on a picture that's, that is energizing, motivating. Third, this is a picture that needs to be a team effort. Talking about taking responsibility as men, but this is not a solo process. This is, this is teaming with, with your spouse. 
uh, to paint this picture, a picture that both of you can get behind, both of you are energized by. It's working together to say, this is what we want for our home. Now, I know there's a num- quite a few here that are not married, and, um, but I would encourage you to, to be thinking about these kinds of things. Before you're married is one of the best times to be uh, envisioning a, uh, what could be. And for some of you that maybe won't get married, uh, there's still ways to paint, to do this kind of process. Painting, how do you want your life to engage with, with people that you're responsible for? Maybe this is a mother. Maybe this is a sister. Maybe there's other women in your life that uh, you have some responsibility for that, once again, this can be part of the picture you're painting. Or maybe you're someone that is really involved in, in ministry for younger people or something of that nature. Again, what's your picture of, of blessing? So, three characteristics of, of the picture. It's countercultural. It's something that energizes you. It's something that you work on uh, with, with uh, your wife to create. And then, it's not enough just to have this, these great dreams. There has to be the building. You get started. And so, in building an intentional pursuit of that picture... What I want to do here is just talk about some of, the, some of the pieces that really need to be in the kind of home we're, we're describing. And so, on this side, I'd like to talk about some foundations that need to be present in our homes. And I'm going to keep this fairly short. Um, first foundation is the one that Paul was reading about this morning. That's fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. That's Psalms 111, verse 10. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding. And so, fear of the Lord, and I'm going to add to that fear of parents. Because I think the two are connected. Fear the Lord and fear of parents. And no, I'm not talking about some kind of paralyzing fear that I can't do anything. But I'm talking about real fear. And I think the Scriptures, when it uses the word fear, it means fear. Uh, I remember reading a survivor of the Holocaust, a Jewish psychiatrist, Bruno Betelheim. And he said something absolutely fascinating. He said, you show me a person that has never learned to fear someone. And I'll show you a person who cannot learn. He said, fundamental to our ability to grow and develop and learn and flourish is the fear of something outside of ourselves. And he wasn't even necessarily connecting it to God. But what better reality to fear than the transcendent creator of the universe. I think Betelheim's right. If there's not genuine, a genuine sense that things will go horribly wrong if I consistently disobey God, that is a, that is a reality that needs to be in place if our homes are going to flourish. Things will go horribly wrong if I consistently disobey dad and mom. That needs to be not not even just a conscious reality, a a heart-level reality out of which you live without even thinking about it. Some time ago, I asked my children, I said, do y'all, and they were older, I said, do y'all fear me? And they're like, dad, what you getting at? (laughs) Um, And I said, I'm just curious, do you fear me? And they said, no, we don't think so. And I said, no, I think you do. <laughs> and so we had to, to, to uh, try to get on the page with each other. Um, I said, and, and I don't have this really formulated well. Uh, but I said, you know, there are times when I say something, and I say it in a tone of voice or with a level of gravity, that, that there is no... There's no pushback from you. Sometimes when I'll say something, you'll say, oh, Dad, what about this or that? But there's sometimes that you don't. And I said, 
I don't think that's really a natural response unless you fear me. Now, I said, gratefully, I'm, I'm grateful that it doesn't feel like being scared of me. But at one point, I think it did feel like that, that you, you actually have to go through that to get to where you can fear without being scared. But at one time, I think, uh, yeah, I think that was part of the process. Now, there's a lot of stuff we should, I, I, I'm, I'm saying more than I know here, so I'm just putting some stuff out there. Um, but I'm absolutely convinced that this, this, um, this fear, this uh, gut level, I think is the word I'm looking for, this gut level realization that things will go horribly wrong is vital to have in place. I remember... Uh, I think it's in Ray Wanger's book on raising children. He gave a graph that looks like this. And I found this to be helpful. I don't know what you'll think of it, but I, I, this is time. And so let's say a child is born right here, and here's where they're 18. So 0 to 18. And he drew two lines like this. There's a graph. This is high, and this is low. Um, this line here is command. And this line is reason. Make sense? He suggested that when a child is born, command needs to be really, really high. That children learn to do. It's, it's the uh, say once obedience. That there's command is very, very strong. And reason doesn't exist in the, in the process. You don't, you don't talk here. And I don't know where, what this point is, if that's three years old or five or eight, but his, what he was, was calling for is, and command, I'm, I'm associating with fear. That when command is high initially and reason is low, there develops a response in children that allows, as they get older, for reason to actually have an appropriate impact. But that what it's easy to actually reverse these in raising children, to start with just wanting to reason with them and convince them of the right way. But the problem is that if, if uh, reason is high initially and command is low initially, that it, it winds up not creating the kind of personal fabric and capacity so that when they're older, reason actually is meaningful. So that's part of what I'm of, uh, thinking of here when I say fear of the Lord is a foundation. And the, the say once obedience approach. Uh, a second foundation I would mention are united parents. Parents that are together and when they're not, they, um, they work that out in private rather than in front of the parents. Uh, maybe, maybe just overarching, what, what I'm talking about in foundations is a, a loving, caring, safe environment. An environment in which children can, can flourish. That, that's, that just needs to be at the heart of our vision. A, a loving, safe, restful environment. A place where children say, just let me go home. That's, that's where I'm, I'm safe. Now, in addition to foundations, there needs to be some structures. 
I'm going to say structures and rhythms. So some things in place that you can bank on, some structures there. Maybe this is the, the frame of the house. And I'm going to give nine structures and rhythms that I think most, if not all of these, should be present in every home. The first is a consistent getting up time. I don't mean that you have to get up the same time every day of the week, but that there is consistency there. That maybe Monday through Friday is one time, and you're consistent with that time, and Saturday is another, maybe a little different time, but you're consistent with it. Every Saturday, it's this way. Second structure is a consistent morning routine. That when you get up in the morning, this is what we do. This is what happens first and second and third. Now the purpose for this is not to have some kind of regimented military-like home. It's to, these are the kinds of structures that bring a tremendous amount of rest and stability uh, and sense of uh, that all is well in, in children. So a consistent getting up time, a consistent morning routine. And I'm not nearly as concerned about what's in that routine, just as that's something you can bank on, that you don't have to, every morning, know what's going to happen next. And that, just that sense of uncertainty. Third, consistent mealtimes. Fourth, one relaxed meal per day with the whole family. Relax being a key word there, where you can just linger together as a family, be together. Fifth, a consistent evening routine. Six, a consistent bedtime. Seven, daily devotional times, a daily devotional time. Eight, a weekly family time. This doesn't have to be highly uh, organized necessarily, but just a time, you know, this is, we're going to carve this space out to be family. And sometimes we may, it just may be sitting around the table for an extra hour or so. It might be doing something together. And then one more I would add, and this could be part of the weekly family time perhaps. It could be part of a consistent evening routine. And I'm, this is the one I don't feel as strongly about. But a story time or activity game that maybe is part of, of the, um, the evening routines. All of these, particularly the first seven, are so vital in creating a, a sense that all is well, a sense of rest. And we lose so much energy when no one quite knows when these kinds of things are going to happen. So we have structures and rhythms in our, in our building. Third, I'm going to suggest that we have traditions. Part of our, our family picture needs to include traditions. What do I mean here? Well, this might involve things like family outings. Uh, I know for a number of years in our family, before school started, sometime in August before school started, we would take a day and do something together. Maybe go to a park, um, just a variety of things, or maybe go to a museum, just different things, plan something special that the family would do for a day. So that was a tradition we had for a number of years. Uh, we find that, that meals can be a wonderful tradition, So, and I know... A lot of people do this, but uh, so for us, Saturday evening is pizza night. And, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how much you look forward to that. And that brings just a sense of, of calm and, uh, and delight into a home. Um, so traditional meals, and this might be, you know, say a weekly meal like I mentioned, or it might be uh, at Christmas we have this particular meal. On your birthdays, 
you get to choose the meal that you have. Those are traditions that build the fabric, build the, uh, uh, the pieces of a flourishing family. And then traditions to make uh, ordinary days into special days, things like birthdays, how not just the mealtime, what, what can we do to make that special? So traditions, and there's many different traditions that, uh, that families have, but it's good to pay attention to this. This is an important part of a flourishing family. And so I'd just ask you to think about that. What traditions do you want to have for your family? And Cynthia and I right now, we're, we've been talking for quite, for the last couple of years, what are the traditions we want to have with our grandchildren? And are just putting in place a couple things that they can look forward to. So traditions. And then a fourth component of our house would be surprises. Some of the unpredictable pieces. What, uh, and, and you know, for it to be a, a surprise, it probably does need to be a, uh, just not, not every week. But planning some special things in. Uh, one of the things we did one evening, and we were feeling like family was kind of in a, the doldrums, and so we decided to do a progressive supper, just our family, but we did it with uh, fast food restaurants, and uh, went to a place that had a whole bunch of different fast food restaurants, and we went to Burger King and agreed as a family before we got there, the one thing we could get from Burger King, and we got... I think there we got a Whopper, and we cut it into seven pieces. And we each had one piece of that Whopper, and then we went to another place and got some fries, and we each we divvied that out, and then we got a shake and divvied that out. You know, that's, that's a memory that our family has. It was one of those surprises. I remember hearing a story from uh, a man who was telling about he, he planned a camping trip for his family, and I forget why he was telling them he couldn't go with them. But for some reason, he was sending them out on this camping trip, and it was, they, were, they lived on the East Coast, and they were going out west. And he had the, the route all planned for them, and you know, he did all the grunt work, but then he was sending them off. And I think maybe he was planning to join them later. He said, you know, after you're there for a couple of days or whatever. But... Uh, what he wound up doing is flying to a, an airport close to the route that his family was traveling. And so the, after they, I think it was out in Colorado somewhere where they were traveling through, and they're just driving along the interstate, and they see a hitchhiker. And as they go past, one of them says, that looks like dad. And another one said, I think that is dad. <laughs> and they stopped, and it sure enough was dad. And they, the person telling the story said he asked, um, why did you go to all that trouble? And he said, the man said, well, someday I'm going to be dead. And when that happens, I want my children and my wife to say, you know, dad was a lot of fun. Now, I don't know that that's, exact, that's necessarily the, uh, the best or, or certainly not the only thing you want to be remembered for, but, um, but there is something about surprises like that that are good for us and that are good for our families. That shows we're investing energy, investing some of that creative uh, talent that we have as men, investing it on their behalf, not just in our work. And yes, this does take tremendous time to build this kind of, of family. Uh, I remember when our oldest son was turning 15, I had two conversations. One was with my wife who said, said Stephen, you know, this is, this is a big time for us. Our oldest son is 15. In five more years, he's probably going to be out of the house. What are we going to do with these five years? She was calling me to, to paint a picture. What are we going to do? And the other conversation was with my dad. And 
um, you know, I was telling him about a conversation with Cynthia, and, and I had quite a few opportunities to talk in churches and so on. And so that was part of what Cynthia was pushing on, saying, should we be doing as much traveling uh, without the family as we are? And so I was talking to Dad, and he said something like this. He said, you know, Stephen, there's a lot of people who can talk, but no one else can be Dad for your children. In other words, there's a gap there. There's a gap in that wall that only you can fill. And, and so we agreed that between my wife and I that I would stop doing, uh, giving talks uh, for at least five years uh, unless it was something that the whole family could be a part of. Just recently, two weeks ago, our youngest son wrote a, a tribute to his mom and dad. And in that, he, he specifically mentioned some of the things that we did as a family during those five years. I doubt he even knows what I'm telling you, the, the, the story behind the story. Um, but it was just, it was really uh, affirming to hear him say, it was worth you just taking significant amount of time during those years to invest in family. So this is going to take time, and I would also say it's it just call us to some flexibility here. The, the building that actually results is probably going to look quite different than the blueprint, and that's okay in many ways. And also, the building, what we build is going to need to change. Nathan, you were referencing this. It's going to need to change from one stage of life to another. What actually goes into... Uh, what, what traditions work, what structures and rhythms work, and so on, will change. A man taking responsibility for his wife and for his children is going to stick out in our world today. You know, I don't feel like I, I could have invested significantly more energy and creativity into our family than I did. And that's, you know, some of that, that list that I gave you, what I want for my grandchildren, there's a number of things on there that were not part of my life, that I, our family life, that I wish were. But a um, number of years ago, we were in Dunham's looking for uh, shoes for one of the children. And, you know, he was 16, 17 years old. And, but we were just doing this as a family, going out looking for shoes together. And, and actually, it was him and his mom that were looking for the shoes, and the rest of us were kind of chasing each other around the aisles a little bit. Uh, and um, one of the, there, there was, after a while, I noticed some man over there just kind of acting like he was occupied, but he was watching us. And after a bit, he just comes over and said, I just wanted to say that um, I so seldom anymore see families that are, just, that are together and enjoying each other. And so I, I just stopped and watched for a while. It's going to be countercultural when we, when we invest this kind of time and actually are present with our families in life-giving ways. So, to wrap things up, uh, I wanted to give some pictures of, of a man. We said a, a godly man is like glass, someone who's developed, who's, who's been forged, who's, who's brought himself to the challenges of life in such a way that God actually creates something of beauty. Out of, out of the sand of our lives. We've said that man is, is like steel. We need other men. We need to be committed to and responsible for and, and, and being responsible to other men. And that, that Proverbs image of iron sharpening iron, that is just so vital to what it means to be a man. But we're steel. We're glass. We're steel. And then underneath that, I've had this blanket. And, and this is to represent another picture of, of man. Men sometimes can feel kind of hard and cold like steel and glass. But we're also to be men who are relational, men who are caring, men who are loving, men who are our wives and children say, oh, we just, we like them. We enjoy being with them. When God evaluates 
or when God evaluated the world in 600 BC, and he looked down at Judah. He said, I look for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. But I found none. Some of the saddest words in Scripture. When he looks down at the eastern U.S., the southern U.S., in 2018... And he says, I'm looking for a man. I'm looking for a godly man. I'm looking for a church man. I'm looking for a family man. Is he going to find, is he going to find us faithful? That's the call. Is he going to find us faithful? Lord, again we bow. And, and invite you to make us into the men that you that's in your mind when you dreamed us up, when you thought up each one of us, you, you had something in mind. And we want to become that. We want to grow into that. We want to become men that are taking responsibility for ourselves. No excuses. We want to become men that can be honest about who we are. We want to become men who are developing, growing, flourishing. And Lord... All of that so that we can offer something, so we can give something, first of all, to you. Be servants of the living God and then servants of our brothers and sisters in the church, servants of the world and servants of our wife, of our children. We ask for the grace to be all that you created us to be. We ask for that in Christ. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Anabaptist Perspectives. For more information, you can go to our website at anabaptistperspectives.org, where we have a blog, and this material is also available in video form on YouTube and Facebook, both under the name Anabaptist Perspectives. This podcast is also available on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Anchor. We would love to hear your feedback, so if you have any thoughts on something that was shared on this show, please let us know. Again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We invite you to join our monthly partner program. Monthly partners are key to the financial sustainability of Anabaptist Perspectives. Partners also gain access to bonus content, including our exclusive podcast where we respond to audience questions and comments. Sign up at anabaptistperspectives.org.